Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. In case you blinked and missed it, there was a Democratic presidential primary in South Carolina on Saturday, the first in the nation for the Dems. President Biden got 97% of the vote. Congressman Dean Phillips and author Marianne Williamson each got about 1%. Game over on day one? Officially, probably yes. But Biden's got other problems. Democrats have to turn out in November for him to win uh, the swing states. So he campaigned in Michigan on the day before the vote in South Carolina. Yes, Michigan, where Arab Americans make up more of the voting population than in most other states. And Biden's Mideast policy is deeply unpopular. And then there's the border, a big motivator for Republicans at the moment. Will this deal that came out of the Senate yesterday uh, do anything to assuage them on that? And the latest NBC News poll shows him trailing Donald Trump by five points in a hypothetical matchup. And I realize it's just a poll, but it's the worst Biden's ever done in five years of that poll since 2019 versus Trump and with basically a tie among Latinos. So don't kid yourselves. The campaigns pay very close attention to a poll like that and adjust accordingly. With us now, Politico, national political correspondent covering the presidential campaign, Elena Schneider. Her latest article is called Biden Gets the South Carolina Victory He Wanted. Hi, Elena. Welcome back to WNYC. Hey, thanks for having me. Was it the South Carolina victory he wanted? There was only a quarter of the turnout compared to 2020. Well, look, this this was a primary that was essentially totally uncompetitive. Uh, President Joe Biden um, placed South Carolina first in the nation for his for this new cycle of presidential primaries. So South Carolina was doing this for the very first time going first. And and essentially no one else was really running in this race. As you said, Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson both were on the ballot. But Dean Phillips, who spent about five million dollars in New Hampshire, Um, which ran an unsanctioned contest. I know the rules get a little complicated here. Um, Spent only about $500 in South Carolina. So look, this was, as we know, very much an uncompetitive race. But nonetheless, they did get some takeaways that they are saying and are trying to spin as a positive result because obviously overall turnout dropped significantly. It was about um, 4% of registered voters who showed up on Saturday compared to about 16% who showed up in 2020 for a very competitive uh, Democratic primary. But what the Biden campaign is pointing to as as positive results out of South Carolina is that they saw about a 13% increase in the share of black voters who showed up on Saturday compared to 2020. And the reason why that is a good sign for them, or they say is a good sign for them, is that there was a real sense of, of well, there's a, there's both an internal sense and an external pressure to show up better with black voters, because this is a key constituency that Biden has been underperforming with in public and private polling. And so part of the goal here out of South Carolina, where there's a far larger percentage of black voters than in, in most states, was to sort of do some message testing, see what would work to get black voters to show up and then center them very early in the process to say to both voters, black voters in South Carolina, but also nationally, that the Biden campaign is taking them seriously, is trying to show up early 
and 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 not just come come around in the fall a couple weeks before election day but to try and show that they're really putting in the work to earn their vote and so they're taking away a couple of positive signs but yes by and large this was still an extraordinarily sleepy primary that really doesn't give us a ton of answers yet as to what this means for biden in november and do you have any early take uh on what we were talking about in, in our last segment which is the bipartisan uh, border bill plus aid to Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan, but the border part of it, um, with Trump already campaigning to reject the deal. Ha- has Biden said anything yet, or is it too early to say how you see this in the context of the campaign? So Biden has already come out and said that he supports this uh, this work that the the excuse me it supports this bill that he means, wants to see this come forward. Because of what the political implications are on a number of fronts, he desperately wants to um, move this Ukraine funding and by tying it in with the border, um, that that's a way to sort of move this forward because everybody's, you know, ideally getting a little bit of what they want. And Biden really wants to move forward with that funding for Ukraine. But there's also some real political implications for the border here. The Biden campaign is acutely aware that the border situation is a challenge for them. Look no further than the NBC poll that came out over the weekend where former President Donald Trump leads Biden by 30 points on handling the border. That is a huge problem. It's not to say that is the, um, you know, we don't know yet what the what the entire election is going to really center on come November. But that's a real warning sign. I mean, look, Biden has never uh, and Democrats generally do not lead on handling of the border in, in polling. That's not something that they tend to do better on than Republicans. But to have that huge of a gap is definitely a warning sign for the Biden campaign. And so by trying to push forward on this bill, they sort of have a twofold thing. They they are attempting to try and address the very real crisis uh, and challenges at the border. But then also at the same time, have um they have some benefits of 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 working with the other side of saying look we're going to to move forward in a bipartisan way on an issue um you know and we're going to give up some concessions and and that's something that Joe Biden certainly ran on in 2020 of trying to bring back regular order in terms mm-hmm. of how people are able to govern and i think that they would like to use this as a as a proof point of that effort that sort of coincides also with an issue that maybe they can say look we are we are aware that this is a problem and we're doing something about it so let me ask you as a political reporter covering the presidential campaign the same question that i asked uh, that a listener asked our last guest, who's an immigration expert, um, and that's on the other side, the Trump side. How is it in Trump's interest, if he's running on improving border security, to oppose a deal that improves border security? So it's in Trump's interest to oppose this border bill because any improvements on the border arguably does not help his effort. If, if the if the border continues to be a challenge, if we continue to see coverage of uh, of of um, of people coming across the border and and this sort of continued crisis of of them then getting sent into cities um, all across the country, where then local municipalities, including places like New York and Chicago, have had to deal with this enormous influx of migrants to their cities, that if that crisis continues, that works to Trump's long-term political benefit. Um, and, and so he does not want to lose that as a wedge issue that he can then run on. 
yes, there's there's a lot of political calculations that are going into this in terms of not only what Trump would like to see out of this, but also how then House Republicans and Senate Republicans are getting pressure to respond to it, given that he is going to be their very likely nominee. I mentioned the uh, NBC poll. You mentioned the NBC poll. Listener writes, I heard the NBC poll was conducted by calling only people with landlines. Please comment. Do you happen to know how it was conducted? I, I don't take that as fact, but a listener is is saying that they heard that. So I, you know what, I don't have the methodology pulled up, but I absolutely urge listeners to take a look. This is something that high quality polls do always list their methodology in terms of how many people they've reached, how they reached them, what language they spoke to them in, whether it was conducted online or by phone. So look, I, I don't actually know off the top of my head what the methodology here was. But but NBC is a is a is a well-respected poll. And I would also urge this person to remember that polls are still a snapshot in time. It does not necessarily have any predictive um, ability here. It is just sort of where this moment is right now. And and right now, things look very look very difficult for President for President Joe Biden. Then what do you make if you make anything of basically the tie among Latinos in that poll nationally, uh, Latinos voted for Biden over Trump two to one in 2020. That's right. So Latino voters have continued to be a, a challenge for Democrats in that, um, you know, several several decades ago, there was sort of this belief that if you were um, a person of color, that sort of inevitably you would you would be a Democrat. And that's partially driven by just sort of what voting performance was. Uh, two decades ago. But that has really changed in recent years. And and the Latino can, you know, and, and uh, this is difficult because, you know, it sort of presents the challenge of having to speak about a group of people as if they are a monolith. And, right, exactly. and Latinos Such who live diverse, in Miami, yeah. yeah, who live versus the Rio Grande versus in Orange County, California. I mean, we're talking about wildly different um, communities with different interests and needs. So I want to say off the top that this is challenging here. But but by and large, as a whole, this this group of, of voters has has weakened a bit for Democrats and for Biden in particular. And even though, yes, he won them by a majority in 2020, and we expect that he is likely to win them again by a majority in 2024, that losing even by a couple of points makes a huge difference, makes a big, you know, presents a big challenge for him as we look in places like North Carolina, where there's a significant population of Latino voters there, or uh, a place like uh, Pennsylvania, where the same in Philadelphia. So th this is to say that the, this is a group of, of voters there. Um, he he needs to be, in, and, and we know his campaign is hyper aware of, and presents a challenge because, you know, in a lot of ways also for them, the border issue is one of a number of issues that they are faced with and that are, are top of mind for them. But I think that they, Latino voters, like every other American voter, the economy tends to be the, the top issue for them. And that's still an area that the NBC poll showed us that he still has some real problems with in terms of translating what the Biden administration has been able to do in terms of the economy and to explain to people that, you know, sort of crowing about those victories while also still acknowledging that that prices still have not come down in a significant way. This is WNYC, FM, HD, and AM New York, WNJT, FM, 88.1 Trenton, WNJP, 88.5 Sussex, WNJY, 89.3 Netcong, and WNJO, 90.3 Toms River. We are New York and New Jersey Public Radio and live streaming at WNYC.org at 1102 with national political correspondent Elena Schneider from 
Politico as we talk about the South Carolina Democratic primary on Saturday and related things. We can take a few phone calls as well as more texts at 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Before we finally leave the border as a topic, I'm curious if you see the Biden and Trump campaigns um, watching this special election that's taking place in New York right now to fill the George Santos seat, um, where the Republican, Mazi Pillip, is running almost solely on the border, saying Democrat Tom Swazi, when he was in Congress, uh, he, you know, supported Biden on the border, and therefore he's in part responsible for the border crisis. It's just border, 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 border from the Republican candidate. That's all they want to talk about. How closely is Biden watching this? How closely is Trump watching this? I think the Biden campaign, um, and I can speak more clearly to it, but I'm sure the Trump campaign is doing this as well. They are absolutely watching the results out of Long Island um, that that are going to be coming in just a couple of days. Look, special elections do give us a real sense, hard evidence. These are people who are actually showing up to vote, hard evidence about how people feel about various issues and messages. Unlike polls, which are, as we said, a snapshot in time, special elections and and votes like this are not. They They are able to actually capture where people are and how they are making their decisions. And so I think that how um how much the the border message gets through here. Um, how effective that is, is going to shape how they move forward on this issue. But it's also, I, look, it's 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 going to be a fascinating moment to, to, to take a look at this because it's also going to have real implications for where things go in November. And we saw some of this already happening in 2022 in New York, where generally speaking, Democrats did very well across the United States in a very difficult midterm year in 2022. But where they fell short was in New York in a lot of places where they lost in a, in a number of, of battleground districts and even democratic leaning districts because the border border issues were such a problem and such a challenge whereas abortion was not as much of a central focus or as um you know voters saying it was as important to them as it was in other places like Michigan or Wisconsin so i think that how things go in a couple of days in New York is going to give us a lot of answers as to how both campaigns are going to move forward in terms of their focus and intensity around the border And now there's Biden's military strikes in the Middle East. Here's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Meet the Press yesterday on NBC after they say 85 targets were hit among groups seen as proxies for Iran after the three American servicewomen were killed in a drone strike in Jordan. We do believe that the strikes had good effect in degrading the capabilities of these militia groups to attack us. Uh, And we do believe that Uh, that as we continue, we will be able to continue to send a strong message about the United States' firm resolve uh, to respond when our forces are attacked. So there's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Meet the Press yesterday indicating that there's more U.S. military action to come. But here's a clip of an Arab-American in Dearborn, Michigan, and we noted at the top that Biden was campaigning in Michigan the other day, not in South Carolina, just before the primary, where there's a relatively large Arab American population in a state that was very close, swing state that Biden won, but by not a lot of votes in 2020. This is Khalid Tarani on January 26th from a group called Abandon Biden. 
We will fight Joe Biden. We will make sure that we will punish Joe Biden by making him one-term president. If Trump becomes president, you know, I'm sure America will survive uh, Trump just like it survived him first time. It will survive uh, Trump once again. So how's Biden addressing it? That voter, we don't know how many people he speaks for, but given Biden's policy since October 7th, his policy in Gaza in particular, um, how much worse would Trump even be than Biden? That voter asks. How's Biden addressing that? Look, there's certainly uh, an awareness within the Biden campaign and the White House that um, that there are long term political challenges as it relates to Israel and Hamas. And so, you know, and again, going back to sort of just this this um, NBC poll, less than than three in 10 Americans uh, support Biden's handling of the Israel Hamas conflict. So there is not very much goodwill in the United States towards his handling of it, just sort of baseline. But then we have this challenge where obviously these Georgia, these these uh, American soldiers from Georgia were killed and that there is, um, you know, as he said, a need for response. And so what the Biden administration is trying to do is to both respond, but do it in such a way that is giving as much room to sort of not escalate a conflict as possible. I mean, if you remember uh, Biden, you know, pulled in, pulled out all of our troops from Afghanistan in, in, in a very uh, a messy and, and uh, com- you know, messy and, and fatal way for a number of soldiers moving out of Afghanistan in the, in the hope that he would then be able to withdraw our presence in the Middle East, which was sort of a long-term goal for him. So he does not want to engage or, or, or create any more conflict uh, in the Middle East than already exists there. Uh, but there is this awareness of, of needing to respond. But then to speak to the political challenge that all of this presents for him, particularly in a place like Michigan, where uh, Arab Americans um, presence is, is one of the biggest in, in the country in a swing state. Look, there have been some attempts to try and speak to and reach out to this community. We know that Biden's campaign manager, Julie uh, Chavez Rodriguez, was dispatched to Michigan to try and sit down with some of these leaders. And they rejected it because they see this not as a campaign issue, but as a policy issue. And they were, in fact, a number of them, including the mayor of Dearborn, were were deeply offended by the fact that they sent a campaign surrogate instead of somebody interested in implementing policy. But even though they, they, they didn't sort of get the person that they wanted to engage them on this topic, there are still enormous political realities, including that clip that you played of somebody saying, you know what, I'd rather have Trump than Biden because I want to send a message to Biden that this is not OK. And and I think that in terms of how the Biden campaign plans to respond to this, they're going to continue to try and do some of these, you know, sort of sit downs with with various you know, representatives of this community. But I think that there needs to be and I think that there's a sense internally that there needs to be more of a um, consistent public and private message that there is they have publicly hugged um, and literally hugged, especially in the in the weeks right after October 7th. Um, the Israeli government been very supportive of the Israeli government and what they've done. But the sure. criticism of Bibi Netanyahu has increased slowly and consistently over the last couple of weeks and months. And I think that they want to and plan to be more aggressive in their criticism of him so that their public uh, sort of position on this conflict matches what they've tried to urge him to do privately, which is to be far more careful and, and, and constrained in the way that he is engaging in this conflict. But that is nonetheless a challenge that sort of 
really lays bare the sort of the political um, tension points that they face where they're trying to push diplomatic, you know, <laughs> pressure on on the Israelis while at the same time getting all kinds of pressure at home from Arab Americans and from and from others, from young voters in particular, who do not like what they see happening right. in in Israel. And so it sort of lays bare all of the challenges that, that he's facing right now that are that are very, very real and a challenge for him moving forward. And I wonder if you think the killing of the three American service members in Jordan um, pushes the story, pushes the politics for Biden even more. All, all three were black women. And you and everybody in political analysis has been talking about the importance of enthusiasm, sufficient enthusiasm among black voters for Biden for him to prevail in the presumed matchup against Trump in November. And to his critics on the left, Biden is now sacrificing American lives in support of the way Netanyahu is fighting the war in Gaza, which, as you've been describing, Biden doesn't even support. Um, and refusing a two-state solution process, Netanyahu is, that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia both do support. Now Americans are dying for this, the critics say, uh, because that's why the Iran proxies are striking. And Biden isn't holding Netanyahu to account. So I'm curious if you think, politically speaking, the deaths of the three American service members move the needle politically on this even more. I absolutely agree that it increased the pressure on President Biden. I think to have American deaths, um, I mean, look, there were there were strikes on um, on American bases um, that were targeting Americans, but no one was, you know, a number of people were injured, but nobody was killed up until this point. But obviously now that there are three service members who have indeed died, that that absolutely does increase the pressure on him. But look, at the same time, there are uh, some some there are some real challenges for him moving forward as it relates to, as we said, sort of what his public posture is versus his private posture. And I think that the death of these three service members then increases the need for him to be more public in terms of what he is trying to do, even if it risks some of the behind the scenes diplomacy. I think that he now, as you said, is facing more pressure and is going to sort of need to sort of marry those positions a little bit more clearly for folks so that they understand where he's coming from. We have two minutes left in the segment. We're going to take one more listener question, and it's going to come from Kylie in Northern Virginia, who is going to ask sort of a political campaign, existential 2024, <laughs> who, who are we <laughs> question, right, Kylie? Yes, I had a chance to get it together. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. So this is basically my, my, my bottom line question is, what information do we really think people are using to make these political decisions? And I know that it's an age-old question, but I want to just give an anecdote to kind of frame my question. So I was having a conversation with my husband about some neighbors of ours that are Trump supporters, and our, I'm a little nervous about my son playing with them. And my husband was like, eh, you know, a little bit indifferent. And then one day he's, in, he's like enraged, and I go see what he's watching, and he's watching coverage of all these women who have to leave the states that they live in to go to other states to get abortions. And he's like intense. He's over the top. And I'm like, where have you been? This is not new. We knew this was going to happen. And he's on Facebook every day and yet had like missed this whole thing. And so that like that's the sense of my question is when people are like, oh, it's about the economy or this or that. I'm like, I'm not really convinced of that. I think people get their news from these really janky places. 
And then for a lot of people, when they're confronted with the actual policies of whomever that they say they support, or particularly like Donald Trump, then they they are like, oh, that's that's awful. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> Where have you been? So that's Cut. my question. Like. Kylie, thank you, thank you, thank you. And yeah, I mean, janky places to get news, to use Kylie's term. Um, I don't, you know, you, we try to do real things here. You try to do real journalism at Politico. uh, And yet people are getting their news, you know, off TikTok and whatever. Well, look, I think she's also spotlighting one of the biggest concerns for the Biden campaign, which is how do you reach voters like her husband, who if only they knew in their in their words, in the Biden campaign's words, if only they knew what a challenge that um, or what a problem Donald Trump would present, either be it around uh, abortion policy or his comments about being dictator for a day or his foreign policy positions, that if only they knew, then they would vote a different way and or they would decide to vote at all. But their challenge is that our media ecosystem is so fragmented and siloed that the only way to reach those people is to absolutely blast this environment with millions and millions and millions of dollars of of paid advertising to try and find those people wherever they are, be it on YouTube, be it uh, streaming on Twitch via video games or on TikTok or on Twitter, that they're going to try and find every single place that a voter might be to reach them with those messages. Mm. The problem is that is extraordinarily expensive and it's still incredibly difficult to do because you have to do it multiple times. And so I think she's she's really speaking to the core of the Biden campaign's challenge as we head uh, into the general election here. So Kylie, keep calling us. And Elena Schneider, keep coming on with us. Elena Schneider, national political correspondent for Politico, covering the presidential campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian.